Welcome back to another week of the Untrained Podcast, where we are reading through the Bible together. And I just want to remind everyone why this is called the Untrained Podcast. Um, It's all based in a passage in Acts where they saw the disciples preaching and they were so amazed at how they could preach because they were untrained. And But what they concluded because of how they preached and the impact that they were having is that they must have spent time with God. And so as we spend time in the Word, that's our our primary way of spending time with God. And I pray that as you've been reading the Bible and spending time with God each morning, that you've been challenged by God, taught by God, convicted by God, and hopefully that you too can have an influence that inspires others to see, okay, they must be with God. Hmm. Um, How you been enjoying this week's reading, Ash? Yeah, good, mate. I think that things have really ramped up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, we see that we're coming towards this this crisis moment. Well, when I say crisis, it's you know it's the it's the most important event in the history of humanity. It's Jesus' yeah. death, and it's yeah. all kind of coming. Absolutely. To so, his last week he came into Jerusalem. They welcomed him as Messiah. Yeah. He goes to the temple, and ministry is not happening. Curses the fig tree. But then this week, it starts off with him going back to the temple. Yeah, and I thought that that was really cool. Basically, this week, all that we're looking at, we've got to keep in the forefront of our mind is actually happening in the temple. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And he's in the temple right before crucifixion, which he's been teaching his disciples repeatedly, is about to happen. Yeah. And so it, it, is, it is all kind of converging to that point, as you were saying. Yeah. So... There's a few things I found interesting from his interaction there yeah. in the temple. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of jumped out at you before we get into it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's for me, just kind of an overview. I think as soon as Jesus gives the disciples the lesson about the withered fig tree, which mm-hmm. is in connection to the temple. Yes. Like you said, Jesus goes back to the temple. And then what we see is we see kind of seven sections where Jesus is, you know, doing stuff in the temple, but he's addressing various groups. Yeah. The scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Yeah. And then it's interesting, man, because like when it actually, in verse 27, I'll just read the verse quickly. It's like, and they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And so mm-hmm. they're challenging him. He shares a parable. Yes. But this isn't in our study this week, but... It's interesting that you see all these little stories in the temple and then when you get to chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus says that not one stone will be left upon another. And so it's kind of like Jesus has visited Jerusalem to go to the temple to communicate these truths and just to expose what isn't actually there that should be there. Yeah. Yeah. And the disciples, even after witnessing this, as they leave it, the reflection, the comment they have on that is like, wow, look How at that. Great How great is, is that? Yeah. And it goes to show like church has never been the building. Yeah. It's been about the ministry. Yeah. And who cares if it's a pretty building with no ministry taking place in it? In fact, today we were just recording a video that we need to do. Um, for an evangelism offering that we got coming up on the 27th of November. And we're passionate about evangelism. We're passionate about the church members partnering with us to give towards that offering because church is not about this building. It's not about this place, but it's about the ministry that we can do. And that's always been the case. Exactly. And I mean, this is a beautiful facility. 
It really is. But even up here on the mezzanine floor, it's filthy hot. It's really hot today, man. (laughs) So we put off filming for like three hours because like after... Waiting for it to cool down. It's been a hot day today. So, so hot. Um, All right. So here's something that really jumped out at me in this interaction in the end of chapter 11 Mm. um, with the scribes, Pharisees and elders. They came to Jesus to challenge him. Um, And they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? And, so there's two questions, and who gave you this authority to do them, yeah? Now, here's the part that jumped out at me, Jesus' response. He said, I will ask you a question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority. In other words, we know from earlier on, really in the first few chapters of Mark, he's shut the door to speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he starts speaking parables so that they can't get it. And what jumped out at me is that Jesus was willing to reopen communication with them. Isn't it? If. Yeah, that answer the question. If. And don't miss this. Why did he stop the communication? It was because of the hardness of their heart and their unwillingness to be honest and true. Hmm. I think, and so he's saying, yeah. hey, I'm willing to reopen this. I'm willing to tell you the answer to this question if you answer me honestly. In other words, if you soften your heart, I will run and I'll tell you again. Yeah. But even then, by their response, he asked them, uh, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or man? Hmm. And they, they, they're talking to each other. So, so the fact that they're coming together to say, what should we say? Shows they're not actually approaching this honestly. Yeah, Jesus gives them an ultimatum, and I think like what yeah. you were saying, sharing before about the fact that the last conversation, you know, if we rewind the story back to Mark chapter three, yep. the big heavies come, like the the scribes, yep. the, the chief priests, they Accusing come from Jesus Jerusalem. Of being well, doing what he's doing through the spirit of Beelzebub, like, and so here we go. They actually come and ask him the question: By what authority? Well, they've already formulated in their own minds by what authority. Well, that's funny. I actually wrote that here. It's like I said. Previously, they claimed they knew by whose authority. Yeah. Because they were preaching was by Beelzebub. But now they've revealed that they actually didn't know. Yeah. Right? They didn't actually know. So why were they saying that? Well, it's because they hardened their heart against Jesus and they were willing to sin and lie to oppose him. And isn't it interesting, like, the fact that they're not willing to answer Jesus' simple question, yes. even though that they would like to, and they probably would amongst themselves, just shows how dishonest they are. And it's yes. like, well... If you're going to be dishonest with the truth, then I'm not going to give you an answer for this. It's like the truth demands a verdict. Yeah. And you should know by what you have seen. Yes. And by what you know. And so what we're going to see is I think that we see successive challenges to Jesus' authority mm-hmm. in these stories, whether it's all of them together or it's the various groups. Yeah. But that really is the theme of Mark, isn't it? It's like whose authority is this? From the very first chapter. When he cast out that demon in that synagogue. Even before that, yeah. when, he refl- when he introduces us to the ministry of John the Baptist. Yeah. And he's saying, hey, he's the one preparing the way. For the Lord. For the Lord. So even f- before Jesus enters the scene, Mark is pointing us to the authority and who this Jesus is. And I think like this battle is fought on these two ideas. Mm. Jesus' authority is based upon the word of God. Yes. And theirs is based upon tradition. Mm. And that's what the constant struggle is. And that's like when you see the great controversy theme, that's always been the great struggle. 
you know, yeah. right from what Satan has said, yep. a created being's authority, to yep. what God has said. That's good. And, and even like, sorry, like, I mean, just my mind's kind of going in this direction a little bit, but even like in Revelation 13, this final crisis for humanity, Absolutely. it's man's authority, man's yes. day versus God's authority and God's day. Yes. And we see this just played out in the Gospels. Yeah. You, know, right you, you can see that Revelation 13 is actually playing out of, well, in Revelation 4 and 5, it tells us that it says, you alone are mm. worthy to receive honor, power, and glory. As These creator. are all authoritative type of privileges. Yeah. Why? Because he created all things. And so we see in Revelation that playing out, that robbing of God's authority, yeah. or are we going to give God the only being in all the universe who's actually worthy of these things. Yeah. Um, now, to this, here's what kind of really struck me. He, Jesus is not a liar. He doesn't give false promises. He made a real deal with them. If you answer me honestly. I'll be honest. I will reopen this. Now, to me, that gives me so much hope mm. because even though he was done, he shut the door, it wasn't because... He determined that they're not worthy. It's because they determined that they're not open. Mm. And so they're coming, asking things directly now. And he's saying, if you're open, I'll tell you. That's actually a good point because, I mean, you think about the very fact that Jesus already cleansed the temple and cursed the fig tree. Yeah. But yet he still comes back to the Fully. temple. Why? Well, he knows who's going to be at the temple. Yeah. And he knows what they're going to want to talk about. Yeah. So he's coming to them. You know, now, what cool. do you reckon? What do you reckon is Jesus's response? Because at this point, they essentially said to him, "We don't know," which was a lie. They just discussed amongst themselves, and they said, "Well, look, if we say it's from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe?' And we're yeah. going to look like fools. If we say it's from man, well, the people all turn against us because everyone knows that it was from heaven. Yeah. So they decided to say, "We don't know." In other words, they hardened their heart. Now, what would have been Jesus's response if they said? It was from heaven, but we made a mistake to not believe. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, at the time, the baptism he was preaching seemed to be an attack on the sanctuary, which was the only place to our knowledge to get forgiveness. Mm. We messed up. Yeah. Well, you reckon Jesus is like, well, no, I'm done with you. No way. He fully would have held his part. He would have told them by whose authority he's doing this. Yeah. And I think that the issue is control. Because like Jesus shares that story, the parable of the tenants next in chapter yes. 12. And he really leans, I think, into the reason why they weren't willing to confess. Yes. What they knew in their hearts, you know. Um, Can I just make one more point on this that yeah. jumped out at me in my devotions? Like there's a co real controversy playing out, not between the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus. The controversy that's always played, been playing out is between Satan and Jesus. And so Satan has been deceiving the scribes and Pharisees yeah. and they've been choosing to harden their heart and believe these deceptions, yeah? And one thing that I saw from this, in their discussion, they have two options. Option is, say it's from heaven and then we're, we're, we're in a horrible situation. Option two, say it's from man and we're in a horrible situation. Satan, when he's bringing to your mind the options that you have when you're in a bad situation, he doesn't reveal to you all the options because honest repentance is always an option. Mm. But if you see how they spoke, that was never even on the radar of options for them. Yeah. 
And so as a result, God's saying, well, your heart's open, so I'm not going to be speaking to closed hearts. Yeah. And isn't it interesting, like, the example that Jesus gives them is John's baptism. Like, you think yeah. about it, like, there's plenty of other instances yes. where he could say, hey, what about when I healed this guy or Fully, I was when thinking I cast out this demon? But he says, okay, so let's not just... And he's not even talking about his own baptism. He's not talking about anything in his own ministry. Yeah. He's talking about what John is doing, you know, as, yep. you know, the Elijah, the forerunner that's come beforehand, the fulfillment of Scripture. So he's basing this upon the fulfillment of Scripture. And he says either it's from heaven yep. or it's from man. Either God's in this or it's of human devising. And you've got to make a choice. Yeah. And I think it's, it's quite powerful. I think often people are, are expecting or waiting these great signs before they would believe. And it would be very easy for Jesus to say, hey, what about this one where I fed yes. the 5,000? But he's just talking about John in the wilderness preaching a message of mm-hmm. repentance because God's truth and God's message and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't need to be attended to by all these great signs and wonders. You know, We should just believe because it's in God's word and it's what he said. I think that's what Jesus is getting yeah. at here. Yeah. It's interesting. Where my mind went was a little different in that I thought he brought up John because he was taking them to the very, very beginning. Yeah. Where they started to show their heart. that from the very yeah. beginning. That's cool. I like that. They've yeah. been hardening their heart. Before Jesus. Mm. This isn't about him. Because prior to him, God was they working. were already hardening their mm. heart. And he gave him a chance here. He gave him a chance to pick honesty and humility or pride. And actually, and on, they kept holding on to that pride. And I think on that, this really fits in with the parable that comes next because mm. this parable, what we see is we see that um, a man plants a vineyard. Now, um, the first parable that they understand. Exactly. It's, yeah. And that's it. Like I saw that too. And this parable is the story of Israel. Yes. And where is he saying this? In the temple. This to the leaders is of Israel. Your story. Yes. And I mean, what we see is, you know, he builds this vineyard, um, he gets everything set up, and then he goes. You know, yeah, um, and he, and he leases it out to people. Yes, and he sends back servant that gets beaten up. He sends a servant that gets killed. He sends a servant that either gets beaten up or killed. And finally, he sends his son, feeling like they will respect him, but they don't. They do the same thing to him. Yeah, they and they kill him. And so, like, I think when you're talking about their reception of John the Baptist's message, yeah it reminds me of the servants that were sent to actually, you know, sent to the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And what's it say? It says, some they took, some they beat, some they sent away empty-handed, some they struck, some they treated shamefully, some they killed. And yes. so, like, you see the message that's coming from heaven, like the pleadings of mercy is just being rejected time after time after yeah. time. And this is the prophets that were sent to Israel. Yeah, he's bringing to their mind how they've been not just rejecting him, they've been rejecting everything the Father has sent to them, including him. Yeah. Have you noticed, did you notice this? So they asked two questions, yeah? By what authority do you do these things? Or who gave you the authority? Yeah, it's what and who. Jesus, in response to them, he says, I will tell you by what authority I do these things, if, Right? They don't do the if, and he's like, I'm not going to tell you by what authority. But then in the parable, he, he does who. talk yeah. about who. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Right? Yeah. And so he's like, the first part, I'm not telling you. But the second question, he answers in this parable, and ultimately shows that it's from the Father in heaven. Yeah. yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. It's like, and when the Father... I didn't see that connection before. Yeah. It's like when the Father 
he's like, okay, well, he still had one other, a beloved son. They will respect my son. Mm-hmm. But then they see the son, son coming, and in verse 7 it says, this is the heir. So they recognize that this vineyard isn't theirs. Yes. But they have the audacity to act as if the vineyard is theirs. Yes. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so they take him, they kill him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, when I was reading this, I was just like, man, like, this is pretty intense stuff. And, like, they know, they know when Jesus is sharing this, that that's what they're thinking, that's what they're feeling, yes. and that's what about they're about to do. Jesus is reading their hearts as he shares this story. That's why they knew that this story was about them. Absolutely. He like, it pierces their soul. Can you imagine that? Like? Absolutely. It, it says, um, verse 12. Verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him. Don't miss that. They're fulfilling the parable. They'll fulfill <laughs> in response to a parable that's revealing that they were beating and arresting and killing the people that God sent. Their response to that is, let's arrest this person. It's not just a parable, it's a prophecy. Absolutely. It really is. And, and I wrote this down here in verse uh, 9. But what, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Yes. He was prophesying about Gentiles being entrusted with the message and mission. Yeah. So this, this, this parable is a prophecy but it doesn't just prophesy who or, or teach who sent Jesus. It also discloses what will happen to those who've rejected yeah. those who the Father sends. Mm. And do you know what I was thinking? Like the accusations that they leveled against Jesus, often in his ministry, mm-hmm. was when he claimed the prerogatives of God. Yes. Like who can forgive this man but God? Yeah. And so these, like in the story, like this isn't talking about the nation as a whole, it's talking about the leaders. The mm-hmm. people that are responsible. So it's for the scribes and yes. so those guys. And so when Jesus is sharing this parable, they know who owns the vineyard. Yes. They know who rightfully owns the vineyard. This is the heir. Come, let's take it that we might receive his inheritance. And don't you find it interesting that throughout the course of Jesus' ministry, they were accusing him of blasphemy, a man claiming the power of God. Yeah. But yet they want to wrest from God what is rightfully his hmm. and assume it for themselves. The point. very issue that they see in Jesus is, is actually, actually in their own hearts. Isn't that so true and common with how people deal yeah. with each other? So often it's like, oh, that person's so judgmental. Did you did it? And they like just spend the next 20 minutes just judging, judging them. him. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> but really it's like we, we are really prone to putting on others our sin. Yeah. And I think it's because we haven't truly accepted the gospel and that is laid our sins upon Jesus. Yeah. And we yeah. feel like we still need to somehow hide them, not realizing they're hidden in Christ in God. Yeah. Or with God in Christ, yeah. 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 Um, hmm. And so, yeah. Um, hey, just something else I want to say quick, because this yeah. is such, so powerful. There's and, so much in this week. But like Jesus, Jesus then in the temple, he talks about the builders rejecting, the stone the, the builders stone. rejected yeah. has become the cornerstone. And I think that this is just so, so important that we just can't pass over this. Because of where Jesus is saying this. In the temple. And they would have known. And so you, you, we know the story, like when they were building the temple, yes. the foundation of the temple, there was this stone called the cornerstone. Yep. And, it, and it was so pivotal for the structure. But when that was quarried and when it was all cut up and stuff and it was located to Temple Mount, the builders thought, okay, well, this is, this is obviously the off cut. And so they rolled it down the hill. And then they got to the place where like, oh, no, that's the one that we actually needed that actually gives it the strength that it needs. 
And so Jesus equates that stone to himself. And he's doing that in the very place where that stone is laid. Yeah. And he's saying, this is me. I'm the foundation of this whole temple, but you've rejected me. Yeah. That's why this yeah. mountain's going to be cast into the depths of the sea. Absolutely. So with the cornerstone, it was actually placed in a corner. Yeah. And it's not just that it was the foundation, but that was the straight edge. So in those days, it wasn't cement keeping it all together. It was perfectly cut, but you had to have something that guided the directions and the, 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 really the design of the whole building. So that cornerstone set the direction and, and what's level and straight. Yeah. And he's like, I set the direction. Yeah, that's cool. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I'm setting that. And the very thing that God designed that I came down to be, you're rejecting. And this is what you're about to do to me. You're about to take me, kill me, and throw me out of this vineyard. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. I wrote clear messianic prophecy um, or fulfillment of um, because it starts off with, and I, he always does this. He does this to them again. Have you not read the scripture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, guys, it's, it comes back do to that you authority, seriously hey? not know this? It's the you know authority. I mean? it's, and that's the And that's we see the thing. he keeps doing this. He keeps bringing scripture to their forefront to challenge their ideas. Yeah, I love that. It's, and so it's, as a result of seeing themselves in scripture, being the ones who rejected the stone, they want to arrest him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then who enters the story again? We haven't seen these guys since chapter 3. Pharisees, Herodians. And the Herodians. Yeah. So this church and state union, it's yeah. still active, right? It's interesting because of the question that they actually bring, which is the question of where does the government's um, boundaries begin and end? So religious does- leaders that are united with political leaders are coming and asking this question. And what's the question about? So they came to trap him and I love how... So my sons, for that morning's reading, I was like, what'd you get out of it? And they're like... It was weird. They were just being really nice to Jesus. And, and they were saying he doesn't care about people's opinions. And they like read that as a bad thing. Yeah. But there is just this lathering him up, right? Just like, yeah, yeah. reminds me of the Old Testament with Daniel. Oh, great king. You right? can tell it's all fake. Fully, fully. Yeah. And then finally, they, they ask the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yeah. Should we pay them or should we not? And so the the whole idea of the question is to trap Jesus. Yes. If he says no, accuse him to the Romans. Yes. If he says yes, then like, okay, well. By the way, I think this is a really important thing to understand. The context of Jesus' answer here is not something that he felt the burden to teach. Yeah. He was, mm. tr- they were trying to trap him into this subject. And do you know why they're trying to trap him? Because if he were to say... Yes, you should. Okay. Just as a blanket and not yep. explain it the way that he did. Then they'd be like, well, you can be the Messiah then because we're expecting this political Messiah. And a political Messiah would say no to this. Mm. That's probably what they're thinking. Mm. But um, isn't it interesting? That's like, interesting. My brain didn't go there. Yeah. My brain went to, because it says that they were seeking a way to arrest him. Yeah. Um, and so I think that they were trying to get him to be at odds with Rome. Yeah. So if he says yes, well, then he's odds with the church. If he says no, don't pay them. And I think that that's what they were expecting him to do. Yeah. 
I think they were expecting him to say, no, don't pay it, because then they would be able to say, hey, this guy is teaching that we shouldn't be paying taxes to Caesar. And it's a loaded question. Massively. So, like, they're there to trap him. Either, like, whatever answer he gives, they think that they've got him. Yes. It's the same with the next one. But I think what's really cool, like, how Jesus responds to this, like, should we, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he sees their hypocrisy there. Um, and so he's like, okay, bring me a denarius. And so they do. And he's like, whose inscription is on this? Yeah. And they're like, Caesar's. And he's like, okay, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now, I've, you've probably heard that verse quoted you know, recently. All the time. Um, but I guess the focus point of... Everyone always uses it. it. Everyone always yeah. uses the first half. Yeah. Give to Caesar what he Caesar's. Everyone always uses this to simply say, obey whatever the government asks. Yeah, yeah. That's typically how this passage gets used. And I think, but they ignore the second part of what he says there. Give to God what is God's. So he, he grabs a coin made by Rome yeah. with the inscription of Caesar on it. Whose is that? It's, it's Tiberius. But, but whose <laughs> is it? Caesar. Well, it's Caesar's. Yeah. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Yeah. And to God what is what God's. Is God's. You know, I was thinking about this. I actually did a bit of Googling and I actually looked up what the denarius would have looked like yeah. that would have been used. It's actually really cool. Actually, they're really expensive on eBay. Oh, uh-huh, like really? $3,000. Yeah, well. But um, it, was really, it was really interesting because this is what the coin would have looked like that Jesus used. Yeah. And it has Caesar's inscription. It has the side of his face on it and then it has Pontifex Maximus mm. like, written either side. And I was just thinking, like, it's really powerful because Jesus says, okay, if it has Caesar's image on it, it belongs to Caesar's. But if it has God's image on it, then it belongs to God. Now, the question is, when we go all the way back to Genesis, by just the process of what deduction... What has God's image? Man is made in the image of God. Yes. I belong not to the government. Amen. I belong to God. Absolutely. Can we be good citizens yeah. of whatever land we're in? Of course, as long as... Those laws do not ever come into conflict with what God wants of us. And encroach on Because on we that. do not belong to Australia or America or England or Fiji or wherever. We belong to God. And I think as Christians, we recognize, as Paul says in the Philippians, that our citizenship is in heaven. Absolutely. And whilst we are to be good citizens, we recognize that our allegiance is primarily and ultimately to God. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have co-allegiance. No. Why are, we, why are we to be good citizens? Because the reality is good Christians are good citizens. Yeah. They won't lie. They won't steal. They won't kill. Do you get what I'm saying? If you follow God's ways... By the way, I think this is just a really important point. If God is your number one, everyone else in your life gets treated better than if they were your number one. So if your wife or your spouse is the number one thing in your life, Really, you're going to measure how to treat her according to how the world feels is really good to be treated or honestly, according to how she or he feels they want to be treated. And so generally the rule of thumb is, well, you're looking at others, but don't touch. Like you go around the world, that's kind of what a lot of the things are saying and that's what a lot of people are expecting of themselves. But you come to God... And if God's your number one, he says, don't look unto another woman to lust after her. Yeah. Because then you've committed. So, so the standard of love that my wife receives so much higher. is so much higher if she's not my number one. Yeah. And if God is, then she would receive if she was my number one. Does yeah. that make sense? That's a really good point. And that applies yeah. to friendship. 
right? God says if you hate someone in your heart, it's like you're a murderer. It applies to so many, and it applies to citizenship. So it's not like we have a dual allegiance, allegiance to a local government and to God. No, no, no. Our allegiance is to God alone. But the reality is, because of that second half of the Ten Commandments, you're going to be good citizens because the way God asks you to show love to Him is by showing love to others. And I think on that point, that's a really important point, Jesus really unpacks what that looks like when you know He's confronted by the scribe. Yes. And he says, what's the most important commandment? Absolutely. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And it's in that specific order for a purpose. Yeah. Love to God looks like something. Yes. And it looks like being a good neighbor. Absolutely. Loving others. In fact, I've got some comments on that in a little bit because that's the next question that the Sadducee asks him. No, no, no. It's the one after that. The great commandment uh, that describes... Um, I think we could probably just, let's just go to that. I think it really connects well. We can. I just want to make one more point, and I don't know if it's necessary or not, but like just by way of illustration, right? In a lot of parts of the world, the government has said abortion's legal. The government deeming something legal does not make it right. Yeah. Jesus very clearly, Scripture very clearly teaches, in Jeremiah, for example, why are you in your mother's womb? I knew you yeah, and ordained you a prophet. Like an unborn fetus is a human. It, it, it bears the image of God. It's God's. And so the government should have no sway in the heart of someone whose allegiance is to God on how we treat that. Vice versa, something that is of this world God is essentially saying, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Do what they want done yeah. with the things that are of this world. But the things that are mine, they're mine. The things that are Caesar's, they're Caesar's. Don't you find it interesting? Does that make sense? Is that yeah. a little too hard? I don't know. No, no, it, it does. I was thinking um, that the Pharisees and the Herodians come to Jesus. And particularly for the Pharisees, who were very conservatively minded. Yes. Like, let's just be honest. Like They were very kind of Absolutely. what it says. Um, they would have massively disagreed with taxation. Because yeah. taxation was exploitation. Why do you think tax collectors were the ones that were hated? Yeah. It's not just that they were ripping off. They were essentially funding the people that were persecuting them. And so like, think about this for a moment. And I think this is quite relevant. Isn't it interesting that the fairies use something that they, at their core level, ideologically disagree with in order to attack Jesus because they disagree with him? Yeah. And the medium is is taxation. Yes. And so they use taxation, which they disagree which they with, hate. Yes. to get to Jesus. In, in partnership with a group of people they disagree with, the Herodians. Yeah. And so basically, like, not, like, you see the multiple levels, like, how many steps they're searing their conscience. Absolutely. In order to achieve it's this ultimate It's revealing how end. hard their hearts are. Yeah. They're willing to... Fully lean into sin. They're willing to partner up with things of this world. They're willing to promote ideas that they disagree with just to be able to attack Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And just to attack his message. Yeah. Hey, let's look at the next question, um, which, is, the which is the Sadducees. I love... I've actually, during this last couple of months reading, Mark, my appreciation of this book has grown. Yeah. 
And I just love how he writes. It's usually, Mark is usually the last gospel. Like if people have to list their gospels, it's probably one of the last ones. People always say John, Matthew's always it was first. for me. Luke, it has some really cool parables in it. John was always my first and then Matthew, Luke, Mark. Yeah. I've really grown in my love for Mark. It's a beautiful book, man. And I love this. It says, the Sadducees came to him and then he adds information, just in case you don't have it. Yeah who say there is no resurrection. So he comes a man and they're doing the same thing as what you pointed out the Pharisees are doing. They don't believe in taxation, but they're trying to push taxation. He comes a guy that doesn't believe in resurrection and what's he trying to push? Resurrection. Resurrection. He's like, well, what happens if there's a woman and she dies and then- Oh, her husband dies. Oh, pardon me. Her husband dies and there's no offspring and so she marries his brother brother, and this happens seven times and and in the end, in, in the resurrection- Yeah. Who will be her husband? Yeah, yeah. Interesting question to ponder. It is. Yeah. I think But not for him. Yeah. Not for him. It's 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 really interesting because it's like he doesn't even believe that this is possible. Yeah. It's like, hey, what would happen with this thing that I think is impossible? And Jesus, I love. I, I actually put like a, I drew a fire. Next to his response, because I thought his response was so fire. I wonder what that was. (laughs) He was just, I feel like he just rebuked and mic dropped him. Because after like answering him, right, he says um, in the resurrection, so they ask whose wife will she be? And Jesus says, is this not the reason you're wrong? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, hey, what about this? And then what about this? And In the resurrection, it's like, yeah. This is why you're wrong, man. And then he appeals to Scripture again. Yes! And the power of God. Yes! Yeah, yeah. He appeals to Scripture and the power of God. And then he goes to show how he says to them, I am the God of Abraham and, of, and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Isn't you are quite wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And it's like, have you not read in the book of Moses? Yes! Which is what he was citing in yeah. the question. It's like, they're coming to have disagreements with Jesus about the resurrection when Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Yes. He's kind of like, okay, guys, um, just so you know here that you're greatly outmatched here. Yeah. I am the resurrection and life. And... You, your understanding of the resurrection is wrong. Even the Pharisees' re- understanding of the resurrection is wrong. It's not a continuation of the life that we have here on earth. It's so much more. Yeah. It's so much better. But um, I love what Jesus says that he talks about, you know, um, about the bush. Mm-hmm. And this jumped out to me, and I made note of this, um, where he talks about, have you not read in the book of Moses in verse 26? Yes. In the passage about the bush, so this is the burning bush in chapter 3 of Exodus, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of yes. Isaac, the God of Jacob. The Gospel of John equates the yes. speaking of that bush to Jesus. To Jesus. You know what I mean? And so like Jesus here says how God spoke to him. Mm-hmm. He knows yeah. that he spoke yeah. to him and he said those words. Yes. And so he calls it God. But when you compare the other scriptures, this God that Jesus is talking about is himself. Yeah. And I thought that that was really, really cool. Now, um, I have a question for you. Yeah. So in verse... Um, 24 and 25. So Jesus says, is this not the reason you're wrong? But then he says, because you neither know, uh, you know neither scripture nor the power of God. For when they raise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, in the, as I was reading, it makes it seem 
as though Jesus is saying, hey, don't you know scriptures teach this? Hmm. Now, for me, the only place I've ever been aware of where it describes that in heaven we're neither marrying nor giving in marriage is here where Jesus is saying this. Yeah. Do you, are you aware of a place in the Old Testament where he talks about this? can't think so. Yeah, me neither. It's a place that I've kind of circled for me to continue doing further study in that because that's really interesting. It'd be quite neat to find that in the Old Testament. Mm. Mm. Anyway, side point. I know yeah, that's yeah. neither here, but I just was curious if you did find something on that. Yeah. Hey, um, do you want to go to the Great Commandment now? Yeah, let's do that. So this is probably out of all the interactions that Jesus has you know, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with all of them together at the start. This guy is sincere. So yes. you have like multiple insincere requests, yes. but then one of the scribes. So but he, it comes, it, it seems to be insincere to start off with. Yeah. And he, it's, yeah, exactly. So he comes, he came up and heard them disputing mm-hmm. and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, which commandment is most important? And Jesus says, and he quotes the Shema, you know, which they'd say every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that's, that's what he starts off with. And then he continues, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's important to establish that Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. Yes. And so Jesus... Yeah, this is not new. This is not new stuff. These are what's the... I actually wrote this. Um, uh, How did I write this? Sorry. Uh, Yeah, I, I said, the question here is, what's the greatest commandment? Some teach what is the new commandment. Or when Jesus responds, these is the greatest, not yeah. You remember when the we, only. <laughs> we had a discussion on the law of God with somebody? Yeah. And they were quite worked up. Yeah. And they're saying the new commandment, the new commandment. Yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor's. Their yourself. mind was blown. Well, honestly, their mind wasn't blown that this is actually quoting the Old Testament. There was an absolute refusal to accept it, even though it's plainly written there. Well, we actually turned to Deuteronomy yeah. and then turned to Leviticus and read it right from the scripture and actually yeah. got them to read it. And they're just it, it, very similar to what scribes and Pharisees were doing. It was a hardened heart moment, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. And so, like, what I found really, really powerful with all of this um, is where it says, with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and mm. all your strength. And so, God demands all of us, you know. And I think that's what we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark. Yes. When Jesus is talking about discipleship, he's like, God doesn't want just a part of you. He wants you. Yes. And in order to love God, you need to love him with all that you are. And I was thinking a little bit as well, bro, like why it was why Jesus ordered it in the way that he did. Uh, why he puts love to God first and then love to humanity second. And like my understanding of that is, well, if you love God like we've expressed before, you will love humanity. In fact, you can even go further and work from the opposite direction. If you don't love humanity, then you don't love God. Yes. And like John says, you know, if anyone says that he loves God and hates his brother, he doesn't love God. Yeah. I actually find it interesting. So which commandment is the most important of all? Yeah, yeah. And Jesus responds and he says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. one. Mm. And you shall. So it starts off not just love your Lord, love your God and love your neighbor. There's three that he puts on this level. But it's in, in order. In order. Yeah. And the first one is describing who is he. Yeah. And this is, inf- I'm not misunderstood, this is the one where it's like uh, Elohim, mm. right? The, the, the plurality yeah. the, in, in the Hebrew. 
mm. and then it's one. Yeah. It's it's a very very it's a passage that's often used for for the triune relationship. Well, I mean that oneness in the Hebrew in Deuteronomy, I think it's yakid and it's actually um the word there is actually the same word that's used, you know, with Adam and Eve and they became, they became one, one flesh. flesh. It's exactly the so same. So it's relationally yeah. one, right? Like they are they are one in uniqueness, not in plurality. Yeah, yeah. Now or not numerically one, right? Now now the point is in what I wrote is very similar to you, but the, it included this. It starts with who he is. I like that. That's that's powerful. And in response to who he is, you love him. I love that. That's cool. And in response of loving who he is, you love others yeah. to show him how you love him. Can I just say something on that? I think that's powerful to me. Ten Commandments. How's it start? I am the Lord your God who led you out of the land of... That's who he is. Yeah. The next thing? Love God. Love God. The next thing after that? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that I, ne- I hadn't, all these years of reading this, mm. I'd missed this portion. I just was like, oh, too, love God, love their neighbor. But no, no, no. It starts off with who he is. And when you know, I've actually said this for, for many years in a sermon that I preach. Um, it's actually a sermon on the close of probation. Yeah. And. Looking at Lucifer, his job was to be a covering cherub, right? So he had front row seats into who God is. When he rejected God, Lucifer really closed the door on his own probation. Because I believe this conviction. I believe that the most powerful thing that God can do to win someone is to reveal to them who he really is. And because Lucifer had front row seats to know who he really is, when he rejected that, there was nothing left for God to be able to do. Then we have the second closure of probation happening. Um, And we're we're coming really close to it, yeah? Yeah. And God's been sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, just like we've read in the parable, and they've rejected, 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 rejected. Now he sent his son. And God, what does he do to try save Israel? He pulls out all the stops. What's the most powerful thing he can do? Sends himself. Reveal to them what he's really like. Yeah. You follow? It's cool. I like that. And when they reject him, even though, according to prophecy, probation didn't close on them until AD 34, really at this point, they had closed the door on their own, own, uh, own heart. Because there's nothing more God can do. Yeah. And I think that's why at the very end, we do find God speaking in Revelation in a way where there is a sanctifying happening, where there is a revelation of his character through his people happening. Because before the very last final close of probation, God is going to once again, miraculously through the latter rain, be working through his people to reveal to God and restore the image of who God really is. Because yeah. I think the most powerful thing God can do to win someone or to have someone love him is to just reveal who he is. And yeah. so we have who he is, and the response is loving him, yeah. and then to show how you love him, you love others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. I, I really like that. Hey, um, I just, as, we, as we wrap it up, um, I think that the great commandment, and I know that this is jumping ahead of, um, and this is actually into next week, week section but i think these two things are connected really well when you're talking about um love where it says here at israel the lord our god the lord is one Mm. so jesus talks about this um then you come to this this discussion and i think it's really cool in verse 35 and i'll just just make this point and i'll jump to what i really want to get to it's like verse 35 starts very differently 
to um, the beginnings of all those other interactions. Mm-hmm. It says, and as Jesus taught in the temple. So it's like, okay, the Pharisees came and the Herodians, yeah, they lost. The Sadducees came, they lost. The yeah. scribe came, he had his, his questions answers. Now it's just Jesus. Yes. And nobody's willing to ask him a question. So he has full authority in the temple now. And he's, he's preaching. Now, what does he reveal? Now he has full authority. This is what he says. He, he rectifies their misconceptions of Messiah. With scripture. And this is, remember how Peter, like, he's like, where he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. And he told them to be secret. Yeah, yeah. He's not being secret anymore. He's revealing who he is. And in verse 35, 36, well, he asked the question, how can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the throng heard him gladly. This is a really important point. The Lord said to my Lord. This is under the inspiration of Holy Spirit as David is talking here. He's like, who are the Lords here? Mm. So the Lord, Father, said to my Lord, Who's David's Lord? Can't be his son. Can't be his son. This is Jesus. Yeah. And so we see two lords in this passage. Yes. And so when you're talking about, you know, in the previous verse where it says, here at Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes. And here we have two lords. Yeah. Father and son, but not just father and son, David himself in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Father, son, and Holy Spirit. And all of these three together are being used as a revelation as to who Jesus is in the temple. After everyone's accusations have been closed, Jesus is like, this is who I am. Amen. And he appeals to scripture. Amen. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be learning about everything that is important for us. And God's about to reveal through the Gospel of Mark who he is as he's been doing. Mm. And and I don't know about you, man, but I know that when my time with God is lacking and I'm not remembering who he is, my love is lacking. Yeah. But as I spend time with God in remembering who he is, I find my love deepening. Yeah. And um, it's been such a good, encouraging week. And I really enjoyed that last point you made, yeah. man. Like Jesus is really unapologetically high, uh, highlighting who he is. And not just to his secret group of followers. He's doing it in the temple. And they heard him gladly. Yeah. You know, um, and I just kind of want to make an appeal to those listening here today, you know, that maybe you haven't actually kept up to date with the study through Mark mm. and you've kind of missed a, a week or some few days and you started strong and you kind of, you know, petered out a little bit. But I want to encourage you to get back on it because yeah. these last few moments, the closing scenes of Christ's life, are really significant and really powerful. And so jump back onto it, get back into it because these final scenes are going to be a tremendous blessing. So we pray that you'll bless this week. We look forward to continuing this journey with you as we get into these final scenes of Jesus' life. God bless. Mm-hmm.